We walk with bullet holes in our backs, but we survive. And we don't wear envy yet, but we drink sugared tea to forget, and we survive. We're no longer welcome on our own mat splattered with bills, and we carry a half-light that disturbs and chills. We are branded with some invisible debilitation, but we survive. We walk for the bus in worn-out shoes, and sometimes we lose, but we survive. And those bailiff's love letters are the price we pay for our freedom. We're hungry now, but hungrier to be free. And we're often beaten shamed, but we survive untamed. We don't look right. Holes in tights hairbrush fights, dark-rooted, unsuited to your open plan plan. It's just from where you're sitting with your face set to disgust. But we survive. We sit and bow our heads over coffee. We're too knee-jerk to sit comfortably over cake and we can't fit in with the fake, but we survive. Now, we leave through windows. When you're waiting for the train, we want to jump. We want to take life and smack it in the face bend it back into place. But we can't handle life the way you can with your sure and steady hands. We, we are handstands. But we survive. You survived, married, smiled, stockpiled. Your life's back on track. We're good at starting again and again, but we never finish. Did you know that there are three stages of recovery? Not finding this out until I entered stage three, I thought I would share it with you now, dear listeners, wherever you are on the path. It's helped me, post-dated, yes, to understand my trauma. Like so much of my life, I seem to always be learning with hindsight. Do you? I mean, I'd never heard of PTSD until I got diagnosed with it. I'd never heard of psychopaths until my son's psychiatrist told me we had lived with one of the most dangerous kind. Ooh, that penny dropped into a big well. So like much of life, we can explain it with hindsight, and that's the art of recovery. That feeling stupid, the cringing and the face palming, it's okay. Before recovery, we were totally unaware of ourselves and other people. 
here's some information that may help you to recover in real time. So as I said, there's three stages to recovery and the 361 is a stage three recovery program. So let's wind back a little. Stage one after abuse is safety. Our first priorities after trauma of any kind are to obtain safety, shelter, food and warmth. We may identify as a victim and that's okay for now. We may feel like a charity case, we may be housed in a refuge, we may just have the clothes on our back, but we yearn for safety. There's absolutely no point in trying to counsel or give women in this stage of their recovery, the 361 recovery program. They want food and safety for their children. Stage two is called remembrance and mourning. Now this is best dealt with through that counselling that I mentioned because we have to examine what we lost and work through our grief in whatever way we feel is healthy with support. That's when I travelled the world and performed. It was very cathartic amongst other things. There's lots of things you can do for remembrance and mourning and that includes something we've talked about a lot in these podcasts, closure and trying to find some sort of closure, forgiveness and really sitting and dealing with really difficult memories. EDMR is really good for flashbacks. So that can take a long, long time for that stage two. I'm not even going to try and put a number on it for you and I'm sure you'll respect me for that. Now we're on stage three. Now it's important to say that a lot of people stay in stage one. Um, They stay as a victim. And a lot of people get lost down this rabbit hole of remembrance and mourning, which I would call being a survivor. And it can feel quite good in both of them in a way because we've got a label and we're identified. But what's so different about the 361 recovery program is and I think I could only dare say it because I'm a survivor myself, that we're looking beyond survivor. You see, for people who aren't survivors, they may think we just want to be a survivor, but we know that we want to look beyond, over the wall, come out of the rabbit hole, if you like. So stage three is reconnection to society. Now, it's a stage of choice because the other stages are comfortable to stay in. And this involves reconnecting with society as a new person because the old one has gone and we're not, we're just not interested in labels at this stage. This is where 361 can help you with those first steps out of the 360 triangle and away from victim and survivor. And this is where conflict arises, I suppose, inner conflict and conflict with others. But that's where we're heading. We hope you're going to join us with 361 Life Support. We're heading beyond survivor we don't want to keep telling our stories we want to see what's beyond we're curious to see what's over that wall are you going to join us so i was asked to give a speech um just before lockdown in march at women's day and i decided to talk about freedom and of course we're in our freedom week how does freedom feel So here it is. How does freedom feel? Freedom is the survivor's motto. Freedom is our goal. Freedom from the cage we made for ourselves with our decisions. Freedom is nothing we can catch or win. 
Freedom has no boundaries. Freedom is this wide open space. Freedom is letting go of chasing these things. Freedom is letting go of our story. What is freedom? Can we define it? Well, have you ever seen a pet rabbit that's escaped from its cage? It goes round and round the edges of the garden waiting for a cat, dog or fox to eat it. And this is because all that wide open space is just too big. Being in a cage has dulled its senses and taken away its ability to be alert, sense danger and keep safe. Being in the cage has taken away its ability to make decisions. Any child who releases their pet rabbit has choices too. She cannot just walk away. She must choose between putting the rabbit back in its cage, its safe space, or letting it run around until a fox or dog finds it and tears it apart. Now the child begins to understand a little more about freedom. So what is freedom? And what is freedom without the emotional education to set boundaries in our lives? Whether we like it or not, we all need to set boundaries, so be careful what you wish for, little rabbits. The big question for women in abusive relationships is this. Should I stay or should I go? Should I take those first few steps out of the cage? Will I feel free? Will I be free? What will freedom feel like? Do I have the emotional skills to survive in wide open spaces? One of the reasons we choose to stay is that we don't feel confident in our own emotional skills, so we stay in the cage. We need to know that we're not lying on the cage. No, I'm here today to tell you that there is no key. So what does your freedom feel like? Close your eyes and imagine it. My freedom feels like the wind in the trees. It feels like wide open spaces in front of me. It feels like miles of silver sea stretched out before me and the wind blowing over it in ripples to greet me. Freedom is intoxicating at first. My freedom is a beach. What's yours? But my freedom is lonely too. Freedom from a drinking habit leads to zero party invitations. I have had to learn how to function in the world sober. This is an emotional skill I never learnt. Freedom to be celibate and own my own body leads to no bedtime chat after my day. I've had to learn how to relate to men again. This is an emotional skill I must relearn. Freedom from a marriage can mean years of financial struggle, let's be honest. I have had to learn how to manage my broken finances and overcome the taste of huge betrayals with forgiveness. This is an emotional skill I found difficult to learn, but I'm determined not to be bitter. I'm an optimist at heart. My freedom has been scary at times, ending up in dangerous places I felt unsafe in over and over again.
I have had to learn how to protect myself. Street smarts. The emotional skills of consent are emotional skills I have had to relearn. Yes, I won my freedom, but since then I've had to live way out of my emotional comfort zone. In abusive situations, we constrict and make ourselves smaller. We want to take up less space in the world, but this freezes and stunts our emotional growth. So when we leave an abusive situation, at first we lack the emotional skills to survive. We put ourselves in danger online dating, taking risks with our personal safety and maybe falling into self-destructive or addictive behaviours. Post-trauma, our freedom can feel very scary until we learn the emotional skills to enjoy it and I call this emotional evolution. Freedom from labels. After five years in PTSD recovery from an abusive relationship, one surprising freedom has suddenly become clear to me. I want freedom from my story. It's a victim story. And I'm no longer sure that telling our story gives us power, you know. I'm becoming more and more certain that telling our story over and over again doesn't help our emotional health. Our stories keep us in victim mode and I Quite frankly, I think sometimes it's just self-indulgence and it creates a survivor or victim echo chamber. You can shout at me now if you want. I believe freedom is beyond our stories. Our new UK Survivor Network 361 Life Support asks victim, survivor, what lies beyond? The vision is to create a network for survivors that can guide them to find their own emotional freedom. And that means, for me, freedom from their stories. We believe that there has to be more than these two limiting labels, victim and survivor, because otherwise, why are we still here? Why did we survive at all? What do we have to teach society about fairness and injustice? Do our stories teach the world anything new with book deals, just simply regurgitating them over and over again? No. Do the lessons we've learnt? Yes, they could teach the world. Something new. The 361 programme I've written combines all these lessons I've learnt into a recovery programme for women. And isn't sharing those lessons more powerful than sharing our stories just in isolation? We're so much more than our stories and we're so much more than our labels. There's real emotional freedom in losing our story. And by losing our stories, we can gain our freedom. So what does your freedom feel like? However you define it, freedom is a feeling that just doesn't last. So don't try to catch it or win it. It's like jumping to grab hold of a balloon before it flies away. Freedom is more of a series of decisions we make every day, big and small. What to wear, what to say, where to work, who to love, how to be in the world. After loss, we can lose our ability to make these decisions. And at this point, we simply don't trust ourselves. And if we escape from our cages, then what? Do we go back into another cage with another man who will control us? Or do we learn to live outside the cage in the wide open spaces? And after loss, the world seems a big, wide, open, scary place. 
freedom is so big and so without rules that many of us choose to stay where we are. Dead marriages, toxic relationships and jobs we hate because we know the rules and there's comfort in what we know even if we hate it. 361 Recovery shows us that we still have time to learn the skills we missed out on when we were younger and there's no shame in this. Emotionally, we may need to unlearn or remember important lessons such as consent or setting a bottom line. This emotional education is learning to live outside the cage and it's real emotional learning that we have to commit to if we want to recover because there are always plenty of cages waiting for us. So what does freedom mean to you? To the survivor, it's a badge you wear. And maybe you call yourself a warrior or a queen and say, you won your freedom, well done you. But there's a saying, the wise do not fight the world. The truth is freedom costs. The truth is that freedom is not a badge. And it's not a simple opening of the cage as a child with the rabbit finds out. No, freedom is a series of decisions that never end. And those decisions have consequences. They sometimes involve making mistakes and if you can begin to make sense of your mistakes, you'll discover that your true wisdom lies in your failures. I have left the cage, dear listener, and felt that fear and kept on walking. I've written and developed 361 during three solitary years living by the sea, where I became sober, started up my own business and felt that fear of wide open spaces and just kept on walking. Emotionally, I've had to learn things that maybe you learned as a child. There's no shame in returning to complete your emotional education as a woman, whatever age you are. We may need to revisit and reframe grief or abuse, as well as learn how to show love, how to trust and how to forgive betrayals. And that's a biggie, but I've done it. I learnt to negotiate all that space around me after loss and I find another way of living that doesn't involve cages. With emotional education, you too can eventually find your own way in all that space. Define your own boundaries and experience the thrill. If I can do it, you can do it, believe me. And you can truly answer this question. How does freedom feel to you? And I can tell you, it feels amazing. So join me. Lift the curse. In my tomb, dust covers sunlight leaves a heavy drag on seven-year glitter. Bitter chinks are not enough. This needs forcing because new life is coursing through my veins. And although I am low, floor-friended, unfriended by ugly truths in smooth hands, befriended by lost boys in ghostlands, I still smash the walls of my tomb, break the silent gloom chilled to imperfection. The air of seven years yellowing like newspaper, dead, it rushes out, pushes her out, camp bed less, lesser but right. The floor creaks every night at the change in pressure. 
She winks in the spotlight. I thought that was the ending, blink and sit tight. I can't stop moving, unbending, without my happy ending, ever after, ever after, rising in the laughter like diamond dust, I rise. Out of this tomb, freedom is a priceless treasure, solid gold pleasure. I enter the future and uncurl, uncursed, well-versed, the best is coming. Pulled out by time and friends' hands, although some have dropped me, half in, half out, and some pushed me back with a careless fuck, a Judas kiss, a well-aimed miss. Now I'm out, alone blinking, no more sinking into addiction, in this wild wilderness the wind blows through me. Every night alone to listen to a stranger, my voice dug out with fabulous fingers, she lingers. I'm walking away with the shipwreck of my life in the distance. Shrouded in a new silence, holding a white flag of dignity with the lonely wind wrapped around me where lovers kissed with fake lips, taking sips of me before I was gone. Now the sound of my memory falls on their burnished goddess. Dog training. The only question now remaining, why did this take me so long? Always longing for company, tough girls, are supposed to like it rough. The wild wilderness is here and I am... I am enough. Written in 2016, it was actually inspired by um, a documentary I watched about Tutankhamun's tomb where the theory was that the air was so old that the air rushed out and poisoned them and I thought, what would old air taste like? And then I thought, wow, in abuse it's like being in a tomb and you smash it open and you walk out into the sunlight and I'd only just walked out when I wrote that Hello Samantha and hello and welcome back listeners to our episode 11 and if you've been listening through we're nearly at the end of the 361 recovery program and I've had a lot of good feedback that you're enjoying it um so thank you for listening and yeah well because we're on episode 11 we don't normally have special guests but we do have a guest from 361 life support Samantha with us so hi Samantha hi Alice how are you getting on really good thank you how are you Oh yes, I'm I'm okay. I'm in I'm in creative genius mode. I'm doing three podcasts at once and it's great because because I don't have any problem with material. I just have a problem with keeping up with myself. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've I've got the mad genius hair and everything. So so thank you for joining us. And um of course you know that um episode eleven and week eleven of the three six one is how does freedom feel? And of course, earlier on in the programme, in week four, we had freedom costs, face it. And because we're nearing the end, we're getting a lot more positive, but still keeping it real with how does our freedom feel, including any newfound freedoms that we've created for ourselves during the programme. And I'm sure that I'm sure that people have um, or it um it wouldn't be worth doing would it so um we're thinking about newfound freedoms like sobriety celibacy uh, possible consent um and boundaries that we've discovered during the 361 and um i'm really pleased that you've joined us today to talk about something called well i don't know the official term of it i know it's a triangle so 
So can you tell us a little bit more about this this triangle? In, in fact, yeah. what's it called to start off with? I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, it's called the Karpman Triangle. And it was identified around the 1960s, 1968, by a doctor, a psychiatrist called Stephen Karpman. And it's all about transactional analysis, which you think, okay, what's that all about? So, yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about today. So what is transactional analysis? Because I know some people will be shaking their head. They cook while they watch this, you know. Good, good, good. So it's kind of like social interactions and how we have that within our relationships and within ourselves. So kind of like from a very young age, if you think about fairy tales and things that we were given to watch as children, often within that there is an actual triangle, a drama triangle. So, for example, you have, you know, the villain. So something like Cinderella, for example, you have the villain, um, you have the rescuer and you have the victim. So the rescuer is the prince and the victim is Cinderella. So they're kind of like the three points in the drama triangle. It's funny you should mention that because you don't know my history, but my stage shows are all based on what if Swingerella went, uh, Cinderella went wrong. And it was actually post fairy tale to, because it's always bothered me as I've got older and, and as when I got divorced, I never had in this narrative that I'd been given by society, I'd never had the bit after riding off on the horse and I'd never really thought about it all through my life. And then I think when I hit 30, I suddenly thought, oh, what, what happens next? I don't have any kind of um, anything other than that triangle, I suppose, in a way. Right. Right. And if you think about it, that victim consciousness is is kind of from a from a woman's perspective, we're, we're then taught this all the way through our learnings. So being at home, you kind of have mum as the good cop and dad as the bad cop or whatever in that kind of same setting as the drama triangle. Wait till your dad gets home or look what you've made me do. There's all these drama triangles pretty much within all of these kind of toxic relationships. And so going back to like Cinderella and you were saying there, you're waiting for that rescuer, the prince to come and take you away, which obviously is quite ridiculous in itself, isn't it? It is. And, and my second marriage was a rescue marriage. Yeah. So there I was in that victim mode again. But of course, the the, um, the villain can be the woman, can't they? Like the mom could be you. The mom could have been the villain in your triangle when you were growing up. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, mum or dad. Um, and then that and moves does on. that mean you could be the rescuer as a kid you could have been taught to be a rescuer yes you bounce around in all three so if you kind of look at the triangle you've got the victim that can be you know helpless feels guilty kind of feeling trapped then you have the rescuer who a lot of the time is coming from an egotistical space so it's they're feeding their ego ego by rescuing people you know and even rescuing themselves so they feel that need to fix and then the other one can, it's often called a villain, but also a persecutor, a saboteur. So somebody that kind of blames externally other people or internally they sabotage things themselves. So you can look at it from all of those three perspectives, internally and externally. So interesting. And and do, are you saying that, say, let's just take childhood at the moment and then we'll come to, you know, being an adult and dating and things. Do we... Do we have defined roles as we're growing up in that three for most of us or or do we are we able to flip? I mean, you know, say is one person normally set as that one throughout our childhood? 
Well, from reading sort of kind of like Dr. Dr. Stephen Cartman's research, a lot of the time it's like a toxic dance. So we're almost like bouncing around all three parts of the triangle, dependent on the situation. So we can be all three, again, internally and externally. We can kind of feel that victim mode. Why me? Why is it always happening to me? And then other times feel like I need to go and rescue somebody and also rescue myself. So I think you bounce around all three and can do on a daily basis. So I'm thinking maybe if your childhood was full of, say your parent was an alcoholic, you might have been, you may have gone into rescuer mode um, or say you were, what what other examples would there be of, of you know, in childhood of, of, this, of this happening? So listeners can try and identify where they were put on the triangle. Yeah, so if you think about a child, again, you bring up, um, any kind of substance abuse, then the child would be in that a victim mode, but also a rescuer mode. So why is my life like this? Why am I living like this? And then also a rescuer having to help that parents, maybe to put them to bed. Um, but then also a persecuting mode from why are you doing this? Why are you making my life like this? So they could bounce around all three. And that's what's really interesting. And I think from a young age, a lot of the times with the victim consciousness is where we kind of stand from and we stem from because of all of those three areas. It's really interesting and it's definitely a great week to do it because we're looking at freedom from, well, it's not freedom from because I think that's a negative freedom. It's, it's how does freedom feel for you, which I think is positive. So we, So hopefully listeners have got that idea of the triangle and of where they might or they can have a think about where they might have been as they've brought those things into adulthood because, of course, we all do. So is there any good news? Can we get out of this triangle or are we just stuck flipping around on the three points forever? No, I think there's positives to take from this too. I think once you look at victim, then there's a way of thinking, I am not a victim. And then using, again, through programs like what you're in yourself and other ways, self-development and work that you do on yourself on a daily basis, because I think that's vital. It's a daily basis, growing and personal development. You then look at stepping out of this triangle and becoming more reconnected with an authentic self. So it's looking at what actually do I want, what makes me happy, and then enabling those kind of feelings rather than it being a villain, a rescuer, a victim, step out of the triangle, become more connected with who you truly are. So, for instance, with the rescuer, um, you can be a carer, can't you? And the difference between being a rescuer and then moving to a carer is boundaries, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you think why you're doing the rescuing and look at it from, is it from an authentic place? Is it because you want to generally help somebody? Um, And I think, you know, for an example of that is something like somebody who does a lot of charity work, but it's anonymous. They want to help people generally are kind and, and helping. But then if it's somebody who wants to stand and shout, look, I'm doing this for charity, then it's more from an egotistical perspective. So I think we can look at all those three areas and turn them into positives. Yes, because with rescuer, obviously, if we keep rescuing people, then we all know people who've done this. We might have done it ourselves in the past. I know I have. It's just exhausting. And it also stops the other person from learning things and from, you know, on their own recovery, doesn't it, essentially? Yeah. And if you think about kind of communication, and what language we use and sort of dysfunctional communication and you look at toxic relationships, a lot of it is about language. So it's how we say internalizing those thoughts and those feelings. 
instead of actually being authentic and saying and putting those like you said rightly said boundaries in place this isn't acceptable for me I don't feel comfortable with this situation rather than internalizing why have they done this to me actually have that conversation with that person and that's um, a big shift isn't yeah, it that's that's yeah. a big shift to be able to be assertive I suppose we're talking about there aren't we rather than because you know we can flip we've all flipped haven't we in an argument to be a persecutor and to start saying really nasty things going from victim to to a persecutor perhaps with a bottle of wine whereas there is another way there's a third way is there which is a more it's a different sort of communication it sounds like yeah and that's where I think the freedom part comes in because it's very freeing not to be inside your head and a persecutor of yourself you think about that you know and the shame and the guilt and all the things that we're again installed from a very young age if you look back at the triangle there if a child's ridiculed look what you've made me do you know if you think of that language and they carry that around or a situation that's happened at school you think about a bullying again that's in the drama triangle so you can pretty much look at this in all negative aspects that have probably happened within relationships in your life but then it's turning that around to look at those three areas of being positives. It's very interesting. So let me, let's just move on to abuse then. So I believe in a victim vibe, and I'm not saying that to victim shame. I think I've had a victim vibe most of my life until about three years ago when I gave up dating and alcohol. And it, I don't know if that's a coincidence, but I don't feel that I have one now. I still have lots of photographs with myself as a victim vibe though. So let's just call it a victim vibe, even if it's not a thing. And let's say we're positioned okay. on that triangle as a victim. And I'm wondering if listeners can can relate here that they may have had lots and lots of different bad relationships because they've unwittingly chosen a persecutor or a rescuer on that triangle. So what could they do instead if they're absolutely sick of the quality of their abusive, intimate relations? I would say look at the internal dialogue within themselves. It's very important to, if you think about one of the things, I mean, Brené Brown is somebody that I've read and watched an awful lot of her uh, podcasts and TED Talks. I think she's amazing. And, and she says the most powerful language you have is internal language. How we talk to ourselves is then how we portray ourselves with others and within relationships and setting up boundaries. So I think the first part and the first port of call is how we talk to ourselves. And I think that's so powerful. I so mean, if you I... think about... Yeah, if you think about some of your closest relationships with your children, friendships, past relationships, if you would actually say those words, what you say to yourself, to your children, I think me personally, I'd be mortified. You know, if I'd said those things, what I say to myself, to my daughter, for instance, I would never dream of saying those things. So I think we have to look at how we internalise the victim within ourselves, within our own consciousness. Are you saying we can be our own persecutor then? And then we we actually subconsciously, this is not blaming people, but we we subconsciously create like sort of draw in partners that, that continue that sometimes. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Because if we are only believing this is all we're entitled to, this is all our worth is, this is all we deserve, then that's all we will receive. So we need to start having that dialogue within ourselves and empowering words and to a point where we feel we're happy by ourselves it's not the need that we need to be around a rescuer or a persecutor or a saboteur and being comfortable within one's own skin 
And I think that for me is freedom. Well, that sounds brilliant. That's a great way to end. And of course, that's what we're working to on the 361. And that idea of um, having being able to set boundaries, being able to be a carer, but not a rescuer, definitely not a victim, but not a survivor either, something beyond this triangle, stepping out of this triangle. And I think if we can, thanks for sharing this, because if we can see the bit, I think we all sometimes jump back on it, don't we? But I found in my life that I can decide not to, when I'm invited, I can decide not to step on that triangle. And that, I think that for me is freedom. Absolutely. And I think what we need to remember is it's okay if we step into this daily, we just need to step back out. Because, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's years and years of conditioning. Like we say, go back to Cinderella. They were, they were books that we read as a very young child. All of the fairy tales are in the drama triangle. So they're installed from a very young age. So if it's installed from such a young age, it's going to take time. And that's why daily practice is so important. That's brilliant. Thanks so much, Samantha, for joining us and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks, Alice. Take care. Living the dream. Will it have a door that shuts tight against past fears? A non-tremoring bedroom with a pillow waterproofed against tears? Will I lay my head on a new bed that's there when I return? And do I dare to dream that I will share it with someone who does not alter when alteration finds? Will it have smooth walls to hang my rough art from friends who saw my heart had broken underneath the painted smile and painted me a new style of life in my mind's eye when I couldn't see on sand-kicked boot-crushed closed curtain days? Will it have a light that never goes out on friendship and healing? Will I get the feeling we are family and not just one, two, three? Not spirit destroyed, just pause temporarily. Will it have open spaces to feel? A view of my future from a frayed windowsill above a pile of clean memories freshly pressed? Will it have a bright kitchen for red wine and hurt belly laughter? Will the sink be messy and the bin overflowing without knowing that punishment is coming one fine day? Will it be more her than him? Will it be fabulously messy? If I will it so. Will it spray sunshine between the blue and can it be all about you when we visit with homemade jam to sweeten my new view? Will this sun-soaked attic room make me high, freedom on loan? Because drug-free, I can sleep alone. A clean break. Birds released from their cage get breathless. Take the energy and give solitary contemplation. Ease into flight overseas. Will the carpets be covered in cake crumbs and never burn my skin or make me hate the skin I'm in? But rather, will I be spared? My damp hair out in a fan as I plan to show the world and his wife what this girl lost to win her life. Will the clock tick gently, chewing time like a marshmallow? Pink-hazed, sunlit days to remember, not forget, making up for the past in hurried, pink-cheeked, lost curl joy. Will the silence be final, not a never-ending brace for attack, backpacked, fully clothed, brain-hacked? Is it finally time to unpack the mirrors and the hurt and bury them in the dirt from whence they came? I will cry as this ends. Goodbye, dear friends. 
Hello Dreams and New Promises. December 2015 on repossession of my house, Alice Smith. Date yourself. I don't mean as a lifetime option, just as a short-term measure to find out more about what you like. Does it seem self-absorbed to you? What's the other option after loss? Latching onto someone else and absorbing what they like? Far healthier to take a break from dating and date yourself. If you're anything like me, you've been on some god-awful dates. Here are some highlights from my online dating. No one ever recovered their mental health or healed loss by online dating. A lorry driver who put his hands around my throat ten minutes into the date and wanted to have sex in an alleyway. A big blonde guy who wanted to skip lunch buying buying the lunch for me to make it for me at my place. His offer, I can buy bread and bacon, was declined. Mr Weird, who was sleeping with his daughter and took me to Aldi to buy my own lunch. Wow. White powder at the fetish fair surrounded by nuns in gas masks, anyone? Would you like to come with me into the electric voltage room? I wish I was making this up. Now I'm dating myself for a while. Not forever, just to get my standards fixed firmly in my head. As survivors, we may need time out to raise the bar. It won't be hard, will it? Here here are my highlights. Three days in Rome for my birthday, including the Vatican tour and ice cream at that famous fountain. Listening to live outdoor music in Bath and crying into my chicken kebab, then visiting an old bookshop and treating myself to a book. Getting dressed up in vintage red petticoats and watching Singing in the Rain in the Electric Cinema Birmingham. A bike ride in strawberries on an island when sleeping on the beach. Ah, these are the best dates I've ever had. Who am I kidding? Through dating myself, I gradually began to find out what I really wanted from a date, what I like about myself and what I don't really like. Violence, unwanted sexual attention, drugs, violent films, weird sexual deviance, busy places and expensive dinners. Now it's your turn. Create a love list. Take a pen and paper and jot down 20 things you love to do. Think right back to your childhood. Roller skating, ice skating, skinny dipping in a lake, baking cookies, playing rugby, playing netball, riding a scooter, painting, drinking hot chocolate, making soap. Next to the list, put the last time you did it. I'm not going to be surprised if you told me that it was a long time ago for some of them. Life's too short. Choose two and plan a date with yourself. Go on those dates and really enjoy them. There's only one rule. You have to do it alone. Because then you can listen to yourself. It's not self-absorbed. It may sound it, but trust me, you can really start to listen to yourself. And when you start to listen to yourself, that's where your mental health recovery begins.
begins. Find your standards. Find your likes and dislikes. Find the one, the 361. Wise women. This is a journaling activity. If someone called you a wise woman, would you be flattered? Or would you rather be pretty, sexy, hot, or have nice legs? Can we have both? What is wisdom? Well, wisdom has 12 qualities. Can you guess what they are? And how many do you think you have right now? Grab a pen. Jot this one down. The first one is realism. You don't have high expectations of anyone or anything. How are you doing on that? Two, appreciation. Are you grateful for the little things? Past 40, if you're not, you need to take a look at that. Three, folly. I like this one. I'm great at this one. Knowing that you're always one step away from being a fool. Yeah, I got that one down. How about you? Four, humour. Can you laugh at your madness? I never stop. Five, politeness. Trying to sit on faults and what you think of people in a search for common ground or work in progress. Next, self-acceptance. Another work in progress, isn't it? Getting rid of shame and being at peace is truly wise. Next up, forgiveness. Realising that even the most difficult people are wounded and unhealed. Next, resilience. What does your happiness depend on? Because if you can see nothing is permanent, this has to be a short list. Envy, lack of. Success and failure. The freeing knowledge that winning doesn't transform us and loss happens to winners. Yeah, that's a great one, isn't it? That's wisdom. 11 regrets, your attitude to them. They're unavoidable, but I wish they weren't. And 12, calm. And I like this, knowing that calm comes and goes and that's okay. Which parts of wisdom do you need to work on? This just came out. I had this really vivid dream of a crossroads about two days ago. And this voice said, the crossroads of life. I woke up and I was like, I just want to get back to sleep. And this voice was saying, write this down. And you should see how scribbly it came out. And then I went back to sleep. The crossroads of life. Look ahead. The crossroads of life. Straight ahead and you will see the village of the dead. Scratch your head. Look back to see the dawn of your creation yawn. Which way? To the left is the stony path of your chaos, if only. To the right, it's still night. Blank pages under scudding question clouds. Steps to campfire desire. The fortune of the damned.
children's playtime, the seduction of life. So turn right for night, fighting through your family's genes, so please mind the gap. Spin round and around and choose, knowing you lose four ways. Gaze at your past, sigh at the loss. Call to the future echoes. It goes slow on this step. So stop time for a sec. The crossroads of life. Close your eyes and count to nine. Ten. Begin again. We walk with bullet holes in our backs, but we survive. And we don't wear envy yet, but we drink sugared tea to forget, and we survive. We're no longer welcome on our own map splattered with bills, and we carry a half-light that disturbs and chills. We are branded with some invisible debilitation but we survive we walk for the bus in worn out shoes and sometimes we lose but we survive and those bailiffs love letters are the price we pay for our freedom we're hungry now but hungrier to be free. And we're often beaten, shamed, but we survive untamed. We don't look right. Holes in tights, hairbrush fights, dark-rooted, unsuited to your open plan plan. It's just from where you're sitting with your face set to disgust. But we survive. We sit and bow our heads over coffee. We're too knee-jerk to sit comfortably over cake and we can't fit in with the fake, but we survive. Now... We leave through windows. When you're waiting for the train, we want to jump. We want to take life and smack it in the face. Bend it back into place. But we can't handle life the way you can with your sure and steady hands. We, we are handstands, but we survive. You survived, married, smiled, stockpiled. Your life's back on track. We're good at starting again and again, but we never finish 
361 Recovery is a brand new 2020 recovery program for survivors. Not just survivors of abuse, but women who have experienced loss, bereavement, divorce, or mental health issues. And there's plans to roll this out to cover men and to support men in 2022. But for now, it's just for women. If you're interested, we're actually piloting 361 Pages, which is a creative writing recovery program, and 361 Recovery. They're both 12-week recovery programs, and we're piloting them to finish at Christmas. And then we will be rolling them out again in January 2021. So if you'd like a free place, please get in touch via our website, 361lifesupport.co.uk. You'll also find there information about our six weeks 361 Sober Recovery Programme, which forms a 361 Sober Circle on completion and will be supporting you Sunday evening 7 till 8.30 in your quest to be sober, sober curious or in the first two weeks of sobriety. So with all that, how could you resist? Get in touch with us and we hope we will be able to support you and walk alongside you. Thanks for listening. The road less travelled. Locked in or locked out. The mountains call to us and comfort us with strange, trapped abandon. Top heavy, they stoop to pick us up. But how high do we want to go? Flying is fear. Far better to stay here in your shadows. If we look out over them, we can see ourselves. Our futures are smaller than our pasts here. Everything costs here, yet death is near. And out there is the other. Smothered by mountains, we feel the comfort of a child. Our wild side needs boundaries as high as the hills. Bigger enemies, bigger pills to swallow. We'll go up and bond, then we'll go down, my friend, not beyond because that would threaten what we know and God loves a trier. The Bible tells me so. So lace up your boots to make a change. Don't change the route. Shoot up, shoot down from the ledge. And we'll say we travelled on the edge of life, but when all is said and done, looking back, we've travelled more in our head and that, my friend, that has made all the difference. August 2016, I Smith with apologies to Robert Frost. It bites. It bites this life, this age, these scars, this heart, this late, late start. It bites. This memory hold like knitting, knit one, pearl one. Drop stitches flitting through my mind. Yes, we are handstands, but we have trembling hands because it bites. This fight or flight of frenzy in the midnight hour. 
Sour hearts with trims made of teardrops drop our hems for fear of further betrayal. Scale ourselves down to miniature figures because it bites this bigger life. The wind is colder now, I'm older and I'm facing the end of something I didn't know I'd started. Tired, jump-start-hearted and full of fear, my face betrays me. It's the year of redesign. A return to childhood with beating fingers. We are bringers of doom to the Addiction Room 101. One-offs. Cut from special cloth. Our unmatched hearts were patched up partly with lovers' kisses, but now, now I don't miss it, that dance to ruin, because it bites. This history, this lack of mystery, this truth, this hurt, this lack of saying no, this white lie, this endless why. I came from the sea into the sea I will return. Don't look back. November 2016, Alice Smith. Brave New World. I want to be a tight-lipped girl who clips at the keyboard because I don't want that downward slide to my shoes, their eyes licking my coat and grooming, missing my smile because it isn't worth a thing here, to the corporate suited and booted. I sing in the wrong low key since I've flown free and I've been trodden in, not trodden on, but still, I smell like shit here. October 2016, applying for a job with unbrushed hair as I face reposition. Or even repossession. Alice Smith. Sorted. A blue sky day lit by grey cloud promises held tight by the wind. This sort of day ages us in stages. We pick out clouds with our cold fingers in seasons of mixed up shiny blue over a barren ground topped with the deserted, sparkling over the smashed halos of strangers, streaming over the broken mornings that broke my spirit. A blue sky year infected with a vulnerability dimmed by the light, the sort of year that ages us in stages. Years of tear-stained spinning minutes, skidding over a pile of fallen memories, staring with a penetrating veneration for the guilty, shaking your faith in soulful creatures we are all searching for. A blue sky day spun by the big hands of the universe, showing us our place on the wheel of fortune. The sort of life that ages us in stages, but a blue sky day shows and slows each stage stopping the light from taking all our dreams, slicing into our what-will-become-of-me's, starting our heart when the frost has smothered it, spooning into our mouths sugary spoonfuls of hope. Oh, wow, what a poem written with severe PTSD. Who says mental health? Oh, mental health drives creativity. Alice Smith, December 2014.